use instead of like calculus, deep calculus, I don't use, but all sorts of stats and probability, um, I, I got far less of when I was actually in school. So one thing I see with startups is there's a lot around how do we deliver education and business model innovations like, you know, income share agreements, but there, I don't see that much on curriculum. And so I don't know why that is exactly, but I would love to see more that is focused on how do we make it so that each teacher doesn't need to come up with their own totally bespoke curriculum, but there's just a lot more of that sharing and it's, you know, feedback from what are, what is really most valuable to students. Recently, I helped the younger brother of a former student get into my dream college in high school, Northwestern University. The family was more than thankful since I was two out of two in helping their kids personalize their application with words perhaps they couldn't have constructed without my help. Over the past 31 plus years, I've seen many people succeed with similar or better pedigrees, including the top startup leaders you know today, like Jeff Bezos. Princeton University, Elon Musk, University of Pennsylvania, or Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg, Harvard, albeit dropouts, but still they got in and met some of their valued co-founders there. Today, we have one of the coolest Stanford plus Harvard grads on the show. Not only did she finish both programs, but she was an original Googler and helped build a startup worth over $650 million looking at today's numbers. You'll get to hear her journey through today, now as a successful LAVC. She also had one of the more unique answers to our third question to the best of the five Qs. After spending the last four days on one of the newest and most popular social media platforms, I realize actually many of the top people in their fields actually do the same. You'll want to hear what she says. So it's my distinct pleasure to have Minnie Ingersoll on the show. If you haven't discovered her podcast, you should truly listen to LA Venture. Um, and if you're in the LA area and you're wanting to build like the next Amazon or Facebook or what have you, and you're incredibly geeky, you should learn about 10110 Ventures. Or if, if you want to just win at life, uh, you should simply, you know, listen to the next 50 plus minutes and learn about Minnie. So welcome to the show, Minnie. That's a great introduction. Thanks so much, Brandon. <laughs> well, um, I'm, I'm seriously fanboying right now. Um, you know, obviously we haven't met uh, before today, but, uh, uh, you know, I've been just so, uh, you know, I, I don't know how to describe it, but I, I've just enjoyed your podcast, learning more about you. And, and you know, like I said earlier, when we were just talking is, is how authentic uh, you are. But uh, I was wondering if you could just, you know, not everybody knows all, all, all about you, obviously. So could you tell us a little bit about what you do today? And, uh, you know, what, what, where you're spending a lot of your time? Yeah, great. Gosh, I hope I don't disappoint with that, you know, win at life introduction. <laughs> so, um, so I grew up in Pasadena in LA. And then I, um, I moved to the Bay Area, and I uh, only came back a year and a half, two years ago now, um, to, to do early stage investing, um, to be a VC at 10110. And so that is what I am doing today, but it's, it still feels relatively new to me. Like I'm still learning all of what's involved in that endeavor, even though, you know, I spend a long time raising money and 
being an angel investor. So, um, so that's the main thing I'm doing. But then, as you said, I'm really enjoying being an amateur podcast host and learning <laughs> that, in fact, it's it's harder than I think to create great content. Um, and I'm interviewing other LA VCs, so it's this chance for me to get to know everyone in the ecosystem that I just moved back to. Right, right. Well, uh, it's awesome, obviously, your podcast. Uh, even though you're saying you're an amateur, um, you know, there's a, there's a little uh, thing that I, I kind of notice, and I'm, I'm not sure if other people notice it when, when they listen, but um, you're able to extract thoughts out of these guys' heads or these ladies' heads, you know, in such a way that I'm just like, wow, you literally pull out their brain and just put it out uh, <laughs> all for us. So... <laughs> Well, being a new VC, like there's also this, it's very genuine, right? Like I'm trying to legitimately, I am trying to learn, you know, why do people make the decisions they make or, um, you know, sort of, you know, all of my guests have some interesting area of expertise. So I'm always trying to get at that. Yeah, no, it's awesome. So thank you for that. Well, let, let's, uh, let's dial it back a little bit, if you don't mind. Um, so I, I was a um, test prep instructor and consultant for years, um, and something I might have not shared with you before, but I spent doing uh, that in, in Asia and in Shanghai and Hong Kong and in, you know, specifically. Well, I, I had this, uh, you know, uh, just this great experience where I learned so much about the US education system, actually. Uh, and I learned about all these great schools and, and whatnot, but I didn't know about your high school. So I was wondering if you could just share a little bit about that. You know, we'll start there and maybe, you know, migrate to the other schools that you, you attended after that. Sure. My high school, right? Yeah. Yeah. Let's go there. Sure. So it's called Poly. I call it Poly, but it's actually Polytechnic. And that's because it used to be part of Caltech. Long ago, it was part of Caltech. Oh. And it's across the street and we use a lot of the same facilities. Um, and I went there kindergarten through 12th grade. Um, and it's, you know, it fairly, it, you know, it still has a lot of ties to sending kids to the Ivy leagues. It's a very academic, it's, it's, you know, it's definitely not as nerdy as Caltech because that's a very high bar, but it has a lot of sort of the same kind of nerdy academic focus. Got it. Got it. Well, so I assume, and, and you know, I don't know if our, our listeners will know this, but it's, it's part, partly because I think your dad teaches at Caltech, right? Right, right. So, so, so your family, I assume, and again, I hate to make these assumptions, but uh, they're very academic, right? So, uh, was was there a lot, a lot of pushing? Like, was there a lot of, uh, you know, molding? Uh, um, you know, tell us a little bit about how your parents, you know, kind of not forced, but you know, maybe uh, encouraged or, or. Yeah, it's interesting because what you said was they're very academic, which is true, and my siblings are all academics. My, my mother is at USC, my dad's at Caltech. Um, and they're very academic in a really academic way. So no <laughs> one ever pushed me to be like a business person, right? In fact, I knew nothing about business and careers really outside of research. Um, but yes, certainly um, I live with my parents now and I, I, it, he, you know, I asked my mother, I said, mom, <laughs> over breakfast this morning, I said, mom, do you think you pushed me? And she said, of course I pushed you. I'm your mother. That's my role. Um, <laughs> but I didn't feel very pushed. So she says that, but I didn't actually feel it. So, and that may just be like my nature, which is I'm just super competitive. And I just was born more competitive than is probably like a useful, you know, skill or something or a useful tool to have. But um, 
and and I think the real challenge that I've always had is like focusing on the right things and actually competing on the right things as opposed to competing on all the wrong things, mm. which I could, that's a whole different, you know, different yeah. tangents of my life that I've gone off on. But, um, but in high school, I really chose to compete on academics and on sports. And, uh, you know, in part, those are very healthy things to compete on. So, um, so that was, I think, where, where I just, you know, it was the thing that my parents like um, gave me affirmations for when I was doing well at school. So I think that's that's kind of how that happened. But I have four siblings. So there was also a little bit of laissez-fairness to my parents. You know, you can't actually, it's harder to be a helicopter parent for five children all at once um, than, you know, I, I certainly didn't have that, you know, direct parental attention all the time. I see. I see. Well, well, you, you definitely had that preparation with the other siblings and, and just the, the environment. And so that maybe prepped you for your, your, your college years. Right. I mean, and, and I mean, frankly, being in, in poly, um, I assume that all these other kids probably had the same kind of, <laughs> you know, tendencies. Yeah, right? it, was great. it was great. So I went to Stanford and studied computer science. And to this day, I think all of my base level education came from high school. Mm -hmm. Um, because I studied computer science and CS was really hard for me um, and the engineering curriculum. And this is, you know, 20 plus years ago. Um, and it was just hard. Like it was a lot of units um, and people hadn't thought about how do we make this, you know, more inclusive so people don't drop out. Like that was not the, the stated goal when I was there. Um, and so, you know, everything about like basic biology, chemistry, Spanish literature, English literature, you know, fill in the blank actually came from high school because I got fairly focused um, in college. Interesting. So, so on a slight tangent or, or maybe related, sorry, more. Um, so our first guest was a Stanford, I think a CS uh, graduate and that's Honor. He's a friend of mine who I worked with at Expedia. And one question, uh, I can't remember what, how exactly I asked him, but, but when we talked about Stanford grads, he said they're too expensive and that they're overpaid. <laughs> Would you agree? I mean, or, you know, you, you were a Stanford CS grad. Um, you know, I, I don't know if that's specific to Stanford. Yeah. It probably kind of is though, because the Bay Area, I think all of that is also gonna change because the Bay Area just got ridiculous. Like after Stanford, I worked at Google for a decade. And what we used to say was Google has now interviewed every engineer on the peninsula. Uh, <laughs> so, so, I mean, it, it probably technically isn't completely true, but, um, and so that means that every Stanford engineer has been interviewed um, by every one of those big tech companies. And, um, and that makes it very hard to compete in hiring those grads because everyone else has, you know, offered them a ridiculous, you know, six figure plus plus salary. Got it. Got it. Um, well, you know, somewhere in between, I guess, Google or after Google, then you went to Harvard, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Was that yes. the com competitive nature of you just <laughs> got to go and do yeah, um, you know, it was competitive, definitely. Like I, I, uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, and, and Harvard Business School, I mean, it was to me, especially knowing nothing about business, like, and, and also this being 20 years ago, and I do think times have changed, but, you know, the fact that they let me in made me like, think, wow, this is an opportunity. You know, I, I feel lucky to have that opportunity to be able to go. Um, and also, um, I, I just didn't know what else I was exactly going to do. So that was, I was only a year and a half out of Stanford. So it was before Google. 
Got it. You, you touched on something that I, I just, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but um, you said they let me in. And so, you know, somebody with your credentials or someone with your background, I would be like, of course, they're going to let you in. But, <laughs> but, but so did you feel like when you were in that process, and I think a lot of kids do and people who are younger that, you know, they have this, you know, imposter syndrome kind of concept in their head, and they're not 100% sure of the uh, future levels or future, you know, um, places they land. Um, did you feel that way? Like you were like, I got in? <laughs> um, you know, it's interesting, because especially being female right now in tech and business, like, imposter syndrome is something we talk, you know, it's, it comes up a lot. I don't, I don't think I really have that much imposter syndrome. Like I, it, it manifests in certain ways for me, in certain ways. In this case, I think it was just that I was a year and a half out of Stanford. I hadn't really done anything spectacular. Um, and there's just a lot of people who apply to Harvard Business School and I had visited the campus and it looks like every postcard or, you know, every everything you imagine of what sort of fancy brick Ivy League should look like. It looks like that. And, you know, I'm from California and just wear shorts and flip-flops. And um, so, you know, that, that, and it just sort of, to me, seemed like this big thing, like, oh, you went to Harvard Business School. It sounded fancy to me. So, um, <laughs> yeah. No, I think that the nice thing is that I, I think I have a, a pretty strong base level of confidence that it came from you know, a strong high school academic career and a strong family support system that I, I don't take for granted at all. Um, I, I feel very thankful to have that. But I think that leads me to not, you know, not have imposter syndrome on sort of the more regular day-to-day -day stuff. Well, um, so did you have an edge, do you think? Uh, like, what I mean is, is um, did, you, did any of your siblings already go to HBS or, or uh, did your parents go there? Uh, uh, or, or do you think, because I mean, you said you had, in the one and a half years, you know, after uh, Stanford, um, you know, you didn't have, you know, in your mind, you didn't have a lot of accomplishments. Um, was it just because you went to Stanford or you just, you had done so well um, all the way up to that point? Um. You know, I do think there's this aspect of um, being in the right place and the right thing, doing stuff. And so I think it was very fortuitous or, or, or something um, for me to understand that tech was the place to focus. So when I went to Stanford, I thought I would be a math major. This is the early 90s. Um, computer science was not a very popular major, but once I got to Stanford, I understood I mean, it wasn't like that hard to see, but it was not a foregone conclusion that I was going to study computer science, but I just saw the opportunity there. And I think that HBS did not have very many technical people at it. And so when I graduated, this is 2002, when I graduated, um, I was one of, I think I was the only person, I, I was the only person who took a job at Google for sure. But I think I was the only person who went into like big tech in San Francisco, only a few people moved to San Francisco. So I think that, you know, maybe I didn't, um, I hadn't done anything spectacular, but um, HBS didn't have a lot of people who looked exactly like me, um, women in tech, you know, going in into my class. So I think that did help me stand out. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I, I didn't think about it from that perspective, because you're right back then, it was very, very different uh, in terms of the landscape. Um, um, let me ask, uh, uh, you know, that that prescient thinking that you had at that time, do you think, uh, uh, I mean, do you have any habits that 
allow you to, to, to think that far into the future? Uh, uh, you know, that, that was something I was going to ask a little bit later, but I'm just kind of curious, what, what are your ways of, of being maybe a step ahead uh, in your own education or your own just kind of daily logging of information? Yeah, I'm, um, I'm not really a step ahead sort of person, <laughs> unfortunately. No, but I, I actually think it served me well to be much more of a just in time sort of person. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm not usually, and, and HBS might be a, a different example of this, but usually I'm not a, I'm gonna go get the, uh, I'm gonna go read the book. I'm gonna go get my certification. Instead, I'm like, I'm gonna get in almost over my head and then I'm gonna understand what it is I need to learn. Um, and if I'm sort of under, you know, if I'm open to um, taking that challenge, then I really know what it is I wanna learn. And I think I learn things more authentically and deeply because I have a real need to apply them than if I'm learning it in sort of a more theoretical, this might be useful at some point sort of way. Um, so, but, but that's not exactly like why, I, I think the thing that I, I, I always do pay attention to is what are the really smart people doing? Um, and if I can see that, you know, all the really smart people are, you know, instead of being in the math department, they're in the computer science department and there's so much exciting, uh, just, things happening in the computer science department, whether that's companies being built or just smart people changing majors. That's the sort of stuff that, um, just to make myself sound like a follower, but you know, to keep a pulse on those sorts of things, you'll end up, you know, being challenged because you'll end up where all the, the really bright people are. Yeah, no, you, you raise a very interesting point that makes me think of a book that I'm listening to right now on Audible um, called The Hidden Habits of Genius. Mm. Uh, so a professor right out of Yale has been teaching this class on people becoming geniuses or what is genius, et cetera. And, and so you say smart people, quote unquote, right? And so I'm kind of curious, what, you know, does smart mean genius? Does smart mean successful to you? Uh, what, is, what does smart mean to you, just out of curiosity? Yeah, it probably has changed in my life. And, and uh, I haven't given it enough thought to have a perfect articulation. But I think when I was in high school, let's say, and, you know, dad's a professor and my siblings are, in my mind, very smart. And I mean that from a raw horsepower perspective. You can put difficult, you know, advanced, I don't know, fluid dynamics, calculus, whatever you want. And these people, and they can, these are my siblings, let's say. My, my, my brother did all of Caltech math while he was in high school. Like he's just, and I used to think he was like the epitome of smart. Mm. I think nowadays um, it sort of depends what context you want someone to be smart at. Um, and so in the world that I'm in, which is sort of a fast paced startup environment for the most part, I like people who can take a, a, a ambiguously defined problem, an ambiguous set of information and, and figure out what the right decision is. And that might mean that they need more information. It might mean that they need to solve something. Like it could actually be, you know, still back to the calculus. They might need to solve a, a, something with data, but figuring out what they need in order to then charter the right course is something that I'm looking for often, you know, in colleagues or people who are, you know, early stage company building. Interesting. Yeah, no, I, I remember hearing that quite a bit because I mean, when, when you finish off or, or when you're talking a lot about 
how people should reach out to you at the VC firm. You, you want geeky people, right? You mm-hmm. want <laughs> people who can solve the equation behind you, you know, <laughs> like in a heartbeat, right? Um, let me ask though, uh, uh, so there are some of them. I have a, a, a good friend who I, I call uh, the Korean version of Will Hunting. Uh, so, you know, he, he can solve any problem. He always brags about how he beats everybody at, at school. Uh, he has an asteroid named after him, you know, all these, you know, crazy, crazy things. Um, but does that by itself, I mean, I assume probably not, but, but uh, when you're looking for all these, you know, very intelligent people who can solve problems, what else are you looking for? Because I imagine there's probably other elements to this ideal, you know, persona that, that you're looking for that maybe, you know, if you could address, maybe this will also help, you know, maybe we'll get you a few more people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the I mean, it's, you know, like, like most things, it's often a team endeavor, right? And so it often is having a well-rounded team with different skill sets and different perspectives. Uh, I mean, like anything, that's often true. Um, So my ideal, you know, I don't know, there's probably different personas that are kind of ideal, but like one would be someone who deeply understands the, 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 the need. So they deeply understand the person that this solution is being built for. They deeply understand the market. They deeply understand the ecosystem and sort of what the pain points are and where, where the value lies. Um, you know, understands the business, right? Like what the value proposition is paired with someone who understands the technical side, who can build the advanced AI that will enable the the solution that to meet the market needs. So I'm often looking for both of those things. Like you, you need to understand why you can't just have a technology. We often say, oh, that's like, you know, a, it's a hammer wandering around looking for the nail. I, I saw this great thing in my lab but that doesn't mean that anyone wants it or that there's a huge market for that. So you need both, but often those are not the same person, right? So, yeah. um, so, so it's, it's, it's the team aspect. Okay. No, I like that. Um, well, now we kind of know a little bit more of the ideal, you know, let's say, uh, um, now let's, let's, you know, reverse engineer this a tad, but, uh, so you have kids, Do you think of how to, you know, because it sounds like your parents, maybe they create an environment that, that allowed you to become who you are. Do, do you think in those ways uh, uh, for your own kids? Yeah, I do, I do. You know, so in my family, when I was growing up, you know, they didn't say like, oh, you need to get straight A's. It's just after dinner, we lived with a bunch of Caltech grad students. We all sat around and played bridge. And like, well, yes, it turns out I turned out to be a sort of nerdy kid because instead of watching football on Sundays, we played bridge together. <laughs> um, and so I think there is the creating the environment that I try harder. I also think that if you push too hard, you're pushing in one direction, which is some predefined direction, and you're not as much open to understanding where the world has gone or where the world has changed or what the opportunities in this new world are. And my parents never would have pushed me to be computer science, right? Because that wasn't something they'd ever heard of. And yet it turned out that that was an extremely important field, which they had almost never heard of sort of. Um, and so, and so I think I don't want, I don't want my kid, I don't want to sort of presuppose that I can push my kids in the right direction. Mm. Um, and I'd rather, and I actually think it would be unnatural, right? And I, and I, my kids are not old enough to be in high school, but I don't know that I want to push them to go to Stanford where I went. And, and um, because 
I think they might have to contort themselves. I don't want them to have to contort themselves mm. to do something that isn't genuine because I think you do the best when you're actually in a genuine spot that that suits you. Okay, interesting. Well, well, uh, similar, um, you know, in that book, and I, I make a lot of references to it lately because that's what's in my brain these days. But um, let's say um, you're a genius. W one thing that Professor Wright actually says that uh, geniuses don't have geniuses as kids. Mm. So it's kind of interesting because um, I would argue, you know, because like, you know, I, I've heard this from a lot of my friends. I just want my kids to be happy. You know, mm -hmm. I just want them to enjoy life. Well, that might mean they can't get to that genius because sometimes getting to that genius means a lot of pain um, mm -hmm. and struggling. Um, and so it sounds like if, if I'm correct, you know, you, you want them to be happy. Am I correct on that or? Absolutely. I want them to be happy. That is, that's what I want for myself too. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I really want for all of us. <laughs> well, so, you know, this, this isn't supposed to be some philosophical show or anything like that, but, but what, what are some tenets to that happiness? What, what would get you there? What would make you more satisfied? Um, and you don't have to go too deep here, but uh, just curious so that, you know, maybe we can kind of maybe even help you if, if we have the opportunity. Yeah, I don't, you know, I am pretty happy right now, but, um, but you know, that may be a function of having gone through some serious ups and downs in my life, right? And, and maybe, you know, maybe that's helped me become happier. Um, you know, one thing that sometimes helps me and I try to impart in my kids, I don't think they've, it's, it's taken up, but is sort of the notion of, make, of, of serving others. Um, and so, you know, the people that I admire some are the people who are, who are spreading happiness, the people who I'm, you know, I'm around who I feel like I get a lot of positive energy from them. Um, and so, you know, and I think that helps you get out of your shoes and sort of worry about your own issues. Um, when you can sort of be of service to someone else and not think it's all about yourself. Um, and I think having kids helps you do that, but, but yeah, no, for me, I do think that, having gone through some really dark times in my life. I dropped out of school twice, actually. Oh, wow. um, really? Yeah, I dropped out of Stanford and okay. then I almost got kicked out of HBS. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but I didn't. <laughs> I actually have my degree from both places mm. <laughs> on time. Mm. But, um, but you know, and that, and that was a long time ago, but I do think going through the hard stuff sometimes puts other things in perspective. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I did not know that. And I don't know if you shared that before, but that that's awesome to, to hear. Because I mean, that that does speak to your authenticity. It's like you went through the struggles. So regardless of what we see on your LinkedIn profile or your resumes, um, you know, there's a lot of backstory there that, that a lot of us don't know. Um, well, maybe this, uh, uh, maybe we'll segue into a little bit more of the, the general education questions because um, that, that's part of why, why I'm doing this show. And I, I'm kind of curious, um, do you think our, our systems of, of you know, education are prepared for those dark times? Because, you know, uh, um, you know I think, you know, you're, you're, when you're very competitive and you're trying to get into these you know, situations and then you're competing against all these really, really smart people. Um, and, you know, I don't know if uh, uh, Harvard or Stanford has like a good counseling center or, uh, you know, if, if any of our universities, I, I, I imagine some do, but, but you know, uh, speaking to those 
hard times, do you think our education system is actually prepared for that or, or for, for at least the students? No, <laughs> no, I don't. Um, I think it's all a little effed up right now. I'm a little worried about it, but um, no, I mean, this analogy just occurred to me and you may disagree with it, but there's a little of like looking at our military and what is our military equipped to do? Um, and our military is equipped to fight wars you know, with guns, but not actually equipped to, you know, occupy a country and actually foster peace and stability, right? And it's like the soft skills. Um, and, and I see that with education. Here's my analogy a little bit, which is increasingly, I think, especially for higher ed and maybe, you know, continued learning, um, but with, true with children too, I, I think the bifurcation is, are you learning a skill or are you learning sort of how to be a human? <laughs> Um, are you learning the social emotional stuff? Um, and, and I think there's a real evolution, especially in these sort of COVID times where you look at what can you get online and what can you, what needs to be in person. And I think it's, uh, it, especially in certain disciplines, I do think it is possible to teach things remote, to teach things online. Um, and so maybe more and more of the hard skills stuff, you can have a computer program that helps drill you on your multiplication tables or gives you the credentials to be a school teacher you can do online, you know. Um, but the, the, you know, the, the MOOCs generally, um, the, the, the sort of college replacement MOOC model hasn't seemed to really work, perhaps in part because college is only part about teaching you computer science and right. a large part about teaching you how to be a freshman in a dorm room with your parents, you know, somewhere far away. Um, and so, um, and so I think that th that's an interesting trend that our schools, maybe going back to the military, you know, our schools are going to have to learn more and more how to teach that when they're in person. And then, you know, other things, maybe the, the AI on your computer can, can, you know, be trained to your exact, you know, learning skill sort of thing. But generally, like the reason I said no right off the bat is just, you know, I worry a lot about things like our public education and I'm here in Southern California and my kids go to private schools. And so am I helping? No. And so when, when people with means and the ability are not part of our education system, um, well, then they're not helping to solve the education system. And um, you know, and there's just more bifurcation in our society. So that's, I think, what I worry about is I am sending my children to private school and the public school is not nearly as good and does not have the resources to be, a, to, to be you know, at least spending per child on what the private systems can. So, so if that hits home, um, out of curiosity, uh, does 10110 think about that? Like as far as like your, you know, uh, thesis, I mean, I know you guys want geeky, very smart people, but at the same time, I assume, you know, um, I, I haven't learned everybody, you know, about everybody at, at the, uh, the firm, but uh, um, from, I, I can't remember your, your co-host's name, but he seems like a really nice guy. And, and I assume he probably has some good interests moving forward. Is that a part of the thesis? Is that, you know, because obviously we want to make money. Um, the, the, that's important. We got to put food on the table, but, but how about uh, an extension or maybe a part of the thesis? Is, is it a part of it? Yeah. I mean, sometimes I think my girlfriend wrote this post called, why don't you care? <laughs> and, and it was not directed at me or anyone specifically, but just Maybe we should all just be working on 
you know, education, climate change, criminal justice, and maybe that should just be, maybe I just need to only do these things. Um, but uh, yes, I would say that um, our fund tends to focus on big legacy industries. We're not, we're not like a science frontier sort of focused thing. And so education is one of those huge areas. And there's a lot, there's a lot of interesting new frontiers in education, things like income share agreements, those sorts of things that um, are sort of tech applied to education is probably where we intersect. And actually one of the um, associates at our fund, she came from alt school, um, which was really trying to do a very personalized uh, education system, very personalized to children. Um, so she has probably more depth than anyone on our team Interesting. Uh, around, around that. Okay. Well, um, so this is something that I, 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 I'm very curious as to, because, and I still haven't really, you know, dived too deep in this, but Asia has a, a huge, uh, you know, um, emphasis or rather a, a, a value uh, around education. So teachers are paid more there um, that, that, you know, you make tons and tons of more money. You know, there's, there's some tutors that make millions of dollars a year. Right. But here in the West uh, uh, you know, we always, you hear the stories of, you know, teachers being, you know, overworked and underpaid, et cetera. Um, yet we're still the leaders in tech. We're still the leaders in, you know, literally the economy to a significant degree, you know, China's catching up, but, but do you think like, I mean, are we just like uh, an environment where, you know, everybody just painfully finds their way to the top and that's what's succeeding or, or, do you think we need to do a lot more? Because um, if, if 10110 isn't, you know, investing in it as much, let's just say, or, or maybe all the VC, for, you know, funds, because I mean, I, I don't, I haven't looked at the entire landscape to see how much, but it feels like education isn't at the top, right? It's not, it's not going to make the multiples. Um, but uh, uh, do you think the West is still doing it right? Maybe in a painful way? I mean, no, like I, I think, you know, I think if if you could have some supreme dictator waving magic wands, I think that they would change how we pay teachers as one great example. Like it's, I, you know, I would do things like no one should make more than, I was going to say no one should be a billionaire, but like that's, no one should be even close to a billionaire. Like no one needs to make more than a hundred million dollars. Just cut that off and give it to paying teachers or something, right? Like there, but I think that the challenge is that, you know, I'm not the supreme dictator if I were, no, I mean, but no one is, no one is able to just wave that magic wand right now. And so I think like with VCs, I think VCs would love to invest in education more. That's a sweeping statement, but, um, uh, but I think one challenge, like a lot of people I know have been burned um, trying to sell software into school districts, let's say, like that is a very difficult endeavor. So I think where you're seeing the innovation tends to be on things like the general assemblies at the Lambda schools, sort of people who are doing uh, uh, tutoring or credentialing or things, um, things that they can do that isn't, doesn't require sort of moving the whole bureaucracy to go school district by school district. Um, and so, you know, which leads to a question, which I don't know the answer to, which is, you know, are, in, are we increasingly seeing things that used to be done by the government being privatized, right? Yeah. And so, you know, it used to be the government decided what freedom of expression was. Now that's clearly Google and Facebook deciding what 
what what can get you know seen by millions and what can't. Um, and so you know, transportation used to be the government, but now it's Uber or you know fill in the blank. And so is more of that going to happen with education too, which is it's going to be. I mean, we see for profit universities, those sorts of things. Yeah, yeah. Well, this year, you know, we we you know, and I hate talking about COVID. I'll be honest, uh, but but at the same time, it's it's literally disrupted slash. Uh, affected us in so many different ways. Uh, do you think that this may have kind of shifted priority, shifted, you know, the the maybe thesis of, of VCs moving forward? Or do you think we're still going to have some of these challenges? Uh, you know, I, I assume the latter, but just curious what you're thinking. Um, you know, I, I think it probably, the I think it just de depends on how you segment things because education is so broad and I think you know does anyone you know everyone's eager to send their their grade school kids back to school right no one has said oh this worked great <laughs> <laughs> um, and so you know in that regard no everyone's you know ready to go back to the status quo myself included um, but uh, but I think where things are really shifting are things like master's degree programs which tend to be where all the money is for universities. Um, and so I, I do think there are big shifts coming, but, you know, some of it is, uh, you know, everyone with the, we didn't grow gradually into this. And so a lot of educators adopted Zoom, which is almost setting us back because now everyone's up to speed on how to use Zoom and breakout rooms in Zoom and, you know, mute class participants, which isn't, there's nothing revolutionary about that. That's not like a big step change in our education system. That's just using Zoom, a kind of poor tool that, so, so, so no, I don't see that, that, that we've, um, we've leapfrogged anything there other than um, I think, yeah, I, I think it'll be interesting to see just the evolution of society and sort of more social norms around um, what we consider a good, a good stamp of approval, whether that's you went to Harvard Business School or you went to Y Combinator. And so I think that sort of that stamp from society of what success looks like is changing. Okay. Well, um, let me ask you, you have the kids that are under high school age. Um, it impacted you significantly this past year, right? Um, and, you know, I've, I've heard it from other uh, friends who have kids in that, that age group. Um, and so it really, really hit home. So do you think that's starting to get into the heads of, 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 you know, I mean, are you hearing more people speak about these, you know, potential opportunities to, to, to you know, start companies that solve this problem? I mean, I, I've heard a couple um, good podcasts slash webinars, um, you know, uh, depending on what, what format they use that, that, that speak a lot to this. And I'm, I'm curious if we're going to start seeing more of this. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely seen more pitches in remote learning and um, health tech, like telemedicine, tele anything, but telemedicine and, and health and uh, education, definitely. Um, things like learning pods, you know, more of that, um, a lot more of sort of the code spark, you know, um, self-guided learning for kids, sort of the video game meets, um, meets education. So I've, I've definitely seen, seen more of that in the ecosystem and funds that have grown up that are just dedicated education focused funds, which I think is really exciting. Yeah. Well, well also because it's, it's affecting you um, or it's affecting women in general, uh, you know, right. Uh, do, do you think we're going to see, I mean, to be honest, I was, 
both obviously dissatisfied with the past four years because of what, you know, we, we see, you know, uh, uh, on a regular basis, but I also was kind of hopeful because I felt like it was actually inspiring, you know, prompting, you know, getting people more excited and rallying for, for women. Um, do you think that that will shift? Like, I mean, do you think we're going to get back to gender parity? I mean, like, you know, like, are we moving that direction? Mm -hmm. what, what, what do you think? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I think pre-COVID, there was a lot of great tailwinds that I felt. And I felt it personally in my career. I felt people reaching out their hands. I felt uh, acts of mentorship that just, it, the tenor of it all felt different than it did five years ago. So I was very helpful. I think, um, very hope, hopeful. Um, and, and I think that one issue with, with everyone being on video is there's a lot more of sort of insider network type stuff going on. You don't have as much serendipity. You're not just, hey, I'm able to go to this pitch competition at a place, you know, downtown LA where I wouldn't have normally gone. Um, and so there's a little bit more of the the old clubbiness where, you know, I'm going to send my buddy a deal and, and I'm going to get a deal back um, because, because serendipity has been lost. Um, and as you say, like it's a double whammy with having kids home, but then also not being able to get help in the house um, for you know any variety of reasons, you know, financial being one, but also just um, you, you don't wanna have people coming to your house right now, especially if you live with your 80 year old parents. Um, and so that's been a real, a real challenge. I mean, although, you know, for us, the real challenge for me is just my kid's emotional state and watching them sort of deteriorate with lack of friendship. Right. Um, right. So that's, yeah, that's tough. Well, um, we're going to get to that question because I think that's a, a very interesting um, issue that is occurring here in the five Qs. Um, but before we kind of maybe finish off with some of the education questions, um, uh, um, I was thinking maybe of asking you at least one uh, um, which, you know, maybe this is, uh, uh, helpful for others. Are there any great resources that you would say that you known about, or you access on a regular basis? I mean, you know, not necessarily Wikipedia per se, but, you know, uh, just, I mean, are you a fan of Khan Academy? Are you a fan of any particular education resources for your kids or just for yourself? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I do a lot of podcasts. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I really enjoy doing that. Um, and, you know, that's kind of how I get my news nowadays. Um, and, uh, you know, we discovered like, oh gosh, what is it called? Like the kids Zen program where they all like do yoga. Um, oh. I'll have to, I'll have to remember the name of it, but we do a lot of that in the mornings to center our kids. Um, and they do Code Spark. Uh, my my seven year old competes with my six year old right now, so we're having fun with those things. Have you? Uh, did you know about like OCW Open Courseware at MIT years ago, or, or or did you know about some of those you know under the radar kind of things that they didn't market? I'm just kind of curious because again, I don't know if it's just you had the great environment or or if you had some of these great resources. You know, I mean, I haven't, I didn't know about the the MIT one that you mentioned. I think also I've been a lot more of the, gosh, I've got three little kids at home. I barely, I don't have, I'm, you know, I said that I was sort of a just-in-time solution person, but I guess that's not so much by choice as necessity, which is, oh gosh, I have this term sheet to negotiate. Um, I better open up Brad Feld's book, um, uh, and turn to the chapter on term sheet negotiation to figure out what these terms mean. Um, right. But I don't, you know, I haven't, you know, 
taken the course ahead of time on what are venture capitalists supposed to know so much as I quickly look up, um, you know, what do you do when you need to, you know, reset a founder vesting? And I look that up online and it pops open my answers for me. <laughs> All right. Well, one last question on education then. Um, so do you think there's maybe a little too much uh, emphasis on certain, you know, subjects? Like, for example, like, I was math student of the year, ninth grade, but at the same time, I don't use any math let, like that I studied up through, you know, like calculus or, or, yeah. or a little bit past that, right? Uh, I wish I would have learned or, or spent more time with language arts or, or with literature, et cetera. Um, do you think there's a, a little bit of a change we can make in our, in our school systems, private or public? Totally. And, um, you know, same, same, I'm with you completely, which is instead of like calculus, deep calculus I don't use, but all sorts of stats and probability um, I, I got far less of when I was actually in school. So one thing I see with startups is there's a lot around how do we deliver education and business model innovations like you know income share agreements, but there I don't see that much on curriculum. And so I, I don't know why that is exactly, but I would love to see more that is focused on how do we make it so that each teacher doesn't need to come up with their own totally bespoke curriculum, but there's just a lot more of that sharing and it's, you know, feedback from what are, what is really most valuable to students. Yeah, no, no, those are great insights. Um, no, I, as I'm, as I'm asking you this question, I have like about 20 others that I'm, I'm thinking of that, you know, unfortunately we don't have the time to, to, you know, uh, unpack, but, uh, no, there's just so many different things. Well, thank you for, for at least answering that. Um, so we like to end the show uh, a lot of times, and I just want to respect your time. Uh, uh, so we, we usually end the show with these five questions called the five cues. And sometimes it can get a little long depending on how people answer these questions. And so I just want to make sure we, 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 we hit these. Um, so the first question that I ask uh, 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 all my guests is, um, who's your hero? And you can maybe you know dive into maybe why. Yeah, I couldn't think of if I have a specific hero. I, I actually, I think it just goes to the type of person that I admire, which is someone with positive energy and, and that those people, and that can be like a colleague who, who remains positive in tough times, but it's also just like the person at the coffee shop who's working behind the counter, who is brightening everybody's day just a little bit, or, you know, the the people who are truly going through tough times and find a way to remain positive. Um, mm -hmm. I really respect that and admire that, but it's a, it's a type of person rather than a specific person. So is that, that type of person the same maybe for the next question? And that is, you know, who's like a good role model, uh, would you say, you know, or, or is that, that more of a, a larger category that you can probably apply some names to? Yeah, I mean, so for me, role model might be slightly different, which is, uh, I was thinking about who role models are, and I kept coming up with people who are sort of entrepreneurial, because I, that is what I see a lot of. Um, but I actually would broaden that entrepreneurial definition um, into people who sort of have a vision, and then say, I have this vision, I know I can achieve it, I'm, 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 going to pursue that passion because I, I know this thing that ought to exist or ought to be fixed. Um, and, 
And I think it's a huge bright spot of our country, which is we enable people to think that way and we encourage and we breed that sort of thinking. And so we've got this amazing entrepreneurial country full of people. And hopefully this continues in sort of our, our, our education system, but it encourages people to take risks and to pursue, to pursue their own sort of paths forward. And I would extend that, um, I was thinking of specific people, I would extend that to people who are, who have immigrated to this country. And I think that immigrants are incredibly entrepreneurial and, uh, and, and they really are, are doing just what I talked about, which is they have a vision for a better life for their family and they're pursuing that. So, so those are people who I think um, are great role models. And I think, you know, even if you just look at the, the, the job growth that has happened in our country, so much of that has been from immigrants or first generation people to our country. So I think those are great role models and we should continue that not to get political, but <laughs> um, that's, that's, um, that's a great bright spot for us. I love that answer. Um, it, so this next question is one that I, I, I've truly enjoyed uh, just hearing the answers uh, from all our guests. And, and you spoke about a little bit of it earlier in terms of the, you know, like those dark times, you know, um, and, and I'm curious, like what helped you get out of those dark times? Um, what is a way that you might be able to suggest to our listening audience? Like, what are some ways that you, you know, how do you, how do you get out of that rut or whatever it is? Yeah. I mean, first for me, I'm just a talker. I could keep talking for a long time and I don't, I'm not a thinker. Like if I'm, if I'm not talking, I'm not thinking, right? Like I don't know what I'm actually thinking unless I'm talking. And so my darkest times, I haven't been able to articulate how hard it's been for me. I haven't been able to tell people like I'm really struggling here because I, I carry too much guilt or uh, I'm too embarrassed or um, and so for me, once I can talk about things and I have all sorts of different examples, but um, I'll use a work one first because it's like less personal, but like at some point it became clear to me and to the company that our, our business wasn't really working um, and that we were going to have to do layoffs. And it was such, it, it, it was a very hard thing for me to come to terms with. Um, and I felt very responsible. There were people who I just hired, they'd move their family across the country to work here, relocate their spouse, their children. And I was gonna have to fire some of these people. Um, but once I started talking about it with our board it, and others, you know, people said, look, I've gone through this myself. Um, and then it took all the edge off, like all of what I built up in my head, being able to talk about and have other people acknowledge what I just said and it wasn't the end of the world. Um, and so that's for me been my biggest saving grace is uh, is talking it through with other people and then having other people help me and and on the personal side you know I I wasn't able to get through things on my own and I think earlier in my life I probably felt like I can get through things on my own um, and just being very humbled about I can't get through something on my own so I need to be able to talk to someone else because, uh, you know, otherwise I, I'm stuck here. And so, um, so, so talking, but I think even before talking comes acceptance, because if you, if you haven't really accepted what's going on with you, um, you can't talk about it. So 
Yeah, I think I remember the episode where you were interviewed by your best friend, right? Um, mm. I, I imagine she's she's one of those people that you talk through with these things. Um, no, that was a fantastic answer. Um, all right, the next two hopefully will be easier. Some people say it's harder. I don't know why. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but <laughs> the next question, I, I, I try to make it simple, but what's a favorite food uh, or dish or some cuisine you like? Yeah, a cuisine sounds so fancy. And I was going to say a muffin. <laughs> <laughs> um, so to kind of go back, I mean, it's kind of a personal answer too, though, which is I'm kind of an addictive personality. And, and I know that about myself. And one of the reasons I get out of bed is because I have the same muffin for breakfast every morning. And it's, <laughs> it is part of my like, I need my routines and my things that I'm sort of so I'm like addicted to like an oat brand muffin, I think, but luckily it's a reasonably benign addiction. That's hilarious, but that's great. No, I hear you. I, I can eat pho every day. So <laughs> I can get into modes where I eat teriyaki all the time. So no, I hear you on that one. All right. And then one last uh, question is, is um, and you know, it, it's, there's so many great, great answers, but um, what makes you unique or, or if you want, you can share maybe a secret or, or, or something that maybe you haven't shared with anybody, but what, what's something a little bit different about, you know, you uh, versus, you know, uh, basically the general populace? Yeah, I don't have a great answer. My <laughs> first thought was that like, what makes me unique is like, I'm deep down like a Labrador retriever. Mm. <laughs> um, but there are probably other people who are Labrador retrievers deep down. Um, I just like everyone. I'm full of energy and I'm just like, hey, you want to play? You want to play? <laughs> Let's hang out. You want to hang out? <laughs> um, but that's just who I am. It's not really a secret to anyone who knows me knows that's just how I operate. Um, I think that, I mean, partly because of this talking thing, I think um, I've kind of stopped caring what people think, which means I've sort of stopped having a lot of secrets. And someone told me the 20, 40, 60 rule, um, which is at 20, you care a lot about what people think. And I said, well, I'm 40, you know, I, I've stopped caring what, what other people think. And they said, oh, well, that's what happens when you're 40. And when you're 60, you realize no one is actually thinking about you at all. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> That's great. Uh, or funny, or I don't know what you, anyway, that, that definitely makes me think a bit now. Um, all right. Awesome. Well, thank you for that, 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 uh, last answer. All right. Well, one thing that I also like to do here at the end of the show is, uh, obviously give, um, you know, a, a way for people to reach out to you. But before we, we actually ask that, I'm just curious, um, are there specific things you need? Like, because, um, you know, like, are there things that 10110 Venture is looking for right now? Uh, you know, any particular types of guests you would love to have on your show? Um, anything specifically there? And then we'll, we'll talk about maybe how to reach out to you. Um, no, I, uh, I, I, I love if people are interested in venture and sort of the people behind venture, I guess, because I try to get pretty um, detailed there. I love to have people listen, but you know, um, and, and then anyone, I love to hear back, like making a podcast, you feel like you're talking into the void. Um, and, <laughs> and I try to talk as little as I can. Um, and so I love to hear back from people who actually have listened and what they might find interesting. So that's great. Um, but I really like to be open to people who want to be in contact. Um, I think that's, that's another sort of family value is if people want to come to Thanksgiving, let them come to Thanksgiving. Um, so if anyone wants to reach me, I, I certainly like to be as open as I can about that. 
Well, I, I have to share a quick anecdote for the listening audience. So I reached out to Minnie uh, a long time ago. Um, I don't know if you remember this because obviously you have a lot of people reaching out to you, but I just pinged you on LinkedIn and you were so open to, you know, accepting the invite and, and you read whatever I wrote at the time and you, you, you were you were touched as what you said at the time. And, and uh, you know, it, it kind of surprised me because, you know, we, we just make the assumption a lot of times with, with strangers and or people who are more public, right? And so uh, uh, she, you know, I would say Minnie is being completely genuine about what <laughs> she just said because, uh, uh, you know, she did that uh, with me. And then, then I even followed up with, I don't know if you remember, but um, I, I actually reached out to one of your guests uh, uh, that I literally in the middle of the night, I don't know how it happened, but your show literally popped on my, my, my phone. It just started, you know, and I was like, wait a second, this is an interesting interview. <laughs> I started listening to it. <laughs> and then I was inspired to basically reach out to both him and, and, and you guys. And, and, you know, we did, we did talk eventually, but, but you, you have been incredibly that. So uh, thank you for doing that. Well, thanks for reaching. I really do mean it. I appreciate when people reach out. So um, I think you reached out on LinkedIn, which is a super easy way. I read my LinkedIn. Um, and I also read my email, um, which is mini at 1010.net. Um, so either way is, uh, you know, I'm trying to be as open as I can be. No, you, you definitely have been. So thank you for that. And, uh, and thank you for, from everybody else who gets to listen to this uh, interview. I think, uh, you know, there's a lot that you've shared today that will help people basically learn how to win. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Brandon, thanks so much for having me on. Hey, it's Brandon, your host of Educate. We sincerely appreciate you spending some time listening to the show. Hopefully you've gained a little bit from the time with our guests. And if you have a moment, please feel free to leave a review, whether it be constructive criticism or another five-star review. We simply would be happy to hear from you. Oh, and if you don't mind subscribing, that's an additional bonus. We look forward to having you back here on Educate.